0: Hey, hey, how are we all? Welcome to the Football Diary podcast with me, Mike, as well as Miles and Dave. Wow, what a game weekend that was. Game week seven proved to be one of the best in the Premier League so far. Miles would definitely concur as Aston Villa produced the definition of a statement win, thumping the golden boys of the Premier League, Brighton 6-1 at Villa Park. So we'll talk to Miles about that and break down tactically for you how Unai Emery actually pulled off such a big result. And Spurs beat Liverpool 2-1. Massive helping hand from some of the worst officiating we've seen so far this season, if not ever. And for once, we'll probably empathise with Liverpool in that one. So, VAR will take centre stage there once again, unfortunately. And also, Luton recorded their first Premier League win with a a victory over Everton. So, it's getting tough down at the bottom for all of the teams involved already, it seems. Miles, let's start with Villa Park, shall we, man? 6-1. Jeez. I don't know how optimistic you are about Villa this season, but surely you did even see that result coming, did you? I'm sure you're optimistic about a win, but for mm. all of us putting like accumulators on, it was tough to pick between <laughs> the two teams at the start of the game because stylistically, they're both quite similar. I think mm. you I know, Emery is kind of a little bit of a a path that Roberto Di Serbi wants to follow tactically as well. And even mm. the formations are exactly the same. So what was the difference between these two teams, mate?
1: One of them's actually a world-class coach and one of them is overrated. <laughs> no, that's a bit harsh. I do like Di just a joke. Um, I, I, I was confident, for a win in this game, if I'm honest, because we've got a very good record against Brighton. Ollie Watkins has got a superb record against Brighton, which he only furthered in this game. And actually, it shows you, doesn't it, the strength of the Premier League, where you get results like this. Now, let's not forget, opening day, we lost five one to Newcastle, and you'd probably put those three teams in quite a similar sort of bracket. Newcastle fans probably disagree, but it's interesting now that we're all taking points from each other as well, because then Brighton handily beat Newcastle, and then here we are, with an even bigger win, and it's fantastic. It's it's exactly what Villa needed after a pretty disappointing week. Although we've got the, the win against Chelsea in the middle of it, losing in both cup competitions is really frustrating, yeah. particularly when one of the remits that Unai Emery's had is to, to bring a trophy to Villa Park. You want to be successful. But then with, with this league form, I don't know what questions you can ask of him right now because they were, they were absolutely flawless in this game, it felt like.
0: Well, I was trying to sort of prod you really for... What broke the deadlock? Because I think before the game, comments were being made that it was such a close matchup between these two and the tactics between both teams might cancel each other out. That was far from the truth. So what started the ball rolling for Villa,
1: do you think? I think the, the whole game was won in the midfield for me. It's interesting because there's been a slight change to Unai Emery's system of late with Zaniolo coming into the team. It kind of changes where the width comes from. Um, we're used to last season. We saw a kind of a midfield four where McGinn and Ramsey kind of provided a lot of the width, or Moreno kind of bombing on from fullback. And at the start of the season, that was quite consistent, and it was Luca Dean giving all that width. And that's still there. That's still an option. But what's interesting is if it's not Luca Dean and Matty Cash bombing down either flank, you notice that Diaby and Zaniola can also drift wide, and what that does is that enables Villa to move to a midfield three of Kamara, Louise, and McGinn, and they were just superb in this game. Now, I feel for Brighton because I think this was the game where we really saw the absence of people like McAllister and Caicedo for the first time. The midfield was just far too weak for all of the praise that Billy Gilmore's had throughout his career and the prospect that he is. He looked mm. completely lost in this game. They gave a debut to Hinchel Woods, and he didn't look really up for it. It was surprising to see. Mo who Hood sat on the bench when they kind of were lacking midfield options. But all Villa wanted to do was win the ball back quickly in midfield yeah. and transition really fast. So the midfield three of McGinn, Louise, and Kamara pressed really high as a midfield unit and then moved the ball forward really quickly, too. I think. Louisa McGinn drew for the record number of progressive passes in the game was six and Kamara made six passes into the final third. So all three of them were doing that same job of just getting the ball to the forward players and Diaby and Watkins in particular really knew how to capitalize on that. They were absolutely electric and just cut Brighton apart down the middle. And I don't think Brighton saw that come in. I think they expected a lot of it to come from those wide positions because we've seen Luca Dean be so creative so far this season. It seemed like, Villa were able to highlight Brighton's weakness and exploit it and Brighton didn't know how to adjust because they didn't have the players to really. That's quite a balanced uh,
0: evaluation there from somebody who's on cloud nine probably from that result. Uh, (laughs) I'll go into into the rest of (laughs) that. Well yeah so Dave uh, Miles mentioned like the how intense the Villa press was and I think there was talk beforehand about both teams being quite successful at that in the past but Villa were relentless really weren't they chasing Brighton down and the game's ultimately about goals as well. And the six of them came for Villa. Ollie Watkins got three of those as well. And I think he's, I'm right in saying it's the last person to score two hat-tricks or more than one hat-trick in the, in the league since Andy Gray for Aston Raston Villa. Is that right? Christian Benteke, surely. No, I think they score more than one in the league. Yeah, so mm. that's a pretty remarkable stat. So goals win games. Villa scored six of them, Dave. Did they deserve it or was it flattering? What did you think?
2: I think I saw that their XG was something at like one point six seven first game, which is crazy considering they <laughs> scored six. Um <laughs> I, you have to obviously, particularly uh, Watkins' third goal, absolutely emphatic. You know, when you see have that kind of finishing, it's you know, it's a massive boost. But he's obviously he's got so much confidence at the moment. Um I think they definitely deserved it a hundred percent. I don't think uh, Brighton's lineup was probably did themselves any favours. Miles My, already mentioned um, Henshaw would coming in to make his debut mm. in, in an away game one. at Villa. So at Villa Park's always going to be. it looked last in there. Um, mm. So in that way, is that almost a bit of naivety from Deserby, I wonder because, like you mentioned, you got De Hood on the bench. You can even change tact and obviously go to um, obviously bolster. Mm-hmm that Midfield and bring an extra body in there, which he obviously went against doing. I just don't know if there was a little bit of naivety from him. I think the team looked a little bit naive and perhaps thought it might not be as they'd have to ride a, as big a storm as they did. They would just look completely out of sorts, particularly in that first half. They were just completely taken apart. Um, so I mean, you know, full credit to Villa. I thought they were outstanding, and um, but. This was probably the perfect they probably looked at that lineup before the game. No doubt Emray would have been thinking, you know, we should be taking these to the cleaners looking at that midfield because Villa have got one of the best midfields in, in the
1: league. It was more than the midfield though, wasn't it? Because actually what they managed to do really well and by playing so much of the game through the middle was they just nullified the wide players that have been really successful for Brighton so far this season. Like Sully March had to come off after the first half, because he was, I think it was dreadful, to be honest. It was the worst game I've seen from him for a really long time. And Matoma really struggled to get into the game. And part of that is because, the, like I say, so much of the ball stayed in the middle of the park. But also, that high line that Villa play, if you get it right against that, it can be really dangerous from for Villa. But actually, it was really well led this week. And Ezri Kansa, again, just showcased why he's such a top talent and why it's criminal really that he's not in the England set up already because I thought he Mm. bossed that defensive line and his recovery pace is so vital for us without Tyrone Mings in there because as good as Torres is on the ball that's not what he brings to the team and when you risk that fullbacks like Luca Dean and Matty Cash are going to push up so much you need someone who's going to be able to track that defender with a high line and and Concer did that perfectly I think it was interesting that Brighton made so many changes at half time and ready for the second half as well and the first 5, 10, maybe in 15 minutes, it looked like it was working. They got that goal back through Fatty, which is mm. it is nice f- for him to get off the mark, obviously. And then the, the Watkins hat-trick, that was so vital. If Villa hadn't scored at that moment, it would have been quite a nervy second half. And actually, it just killed any momentum Brighton were building. And they just looked so clinical. Like, Dave mentioned the XG there. We were a bit fortunate with a couple of deflections at times. But actually, mm-hmm. that's what Watkins will get. It's not the first time we've seen Watkins bag hat-tricks where deflections have helped him. This is exactly what happened against Liverpool when we gave them a spanking. Because he gets he's so ruthless. He wants to move forward. He carries the ball so well that defenders have no choice but to try and close off angles. And these things will happen. It's not a fluke that we see goals go in that way. And actually seeing the support that he had from players like Diaby, even Douglas Suiz getting forward, and a goal for Jacob Ramsey, shows what attacking talent Villa have now. It's amazing.
0: I think um, for me, the fundamental difference is just that the quality of Villa's players is that bit better than Brighton's. Mm. And that's always been the case. But I think Brighton has shown just how much they've overperformed in the last couple of seasons now, especially since Deserve has taken over. He's got mm. the absolute maximum amount of them. But yeah, quality in abundance for Villa. I think uh, nowhere more <laughs> so than with Ollie Watkins. And I think he was mm. overdue. A performance and a goal-scoring performance as well in front of uh, watching Gareth Southgate. I'm not sure how much of a difference he'll <laughs> make to his England prospects, still, but incredible quality <laughs> from him.
1: Three, three of them have to be in the next squad. Him, <laughs> him, Ramsey and Kantar have to be in the next squad. It's ridiculous how how often they get overlooked. But if he was there, and it still won't make a difference. He's probably just there to watch Danny Welbeck and see whether he could get <laughs> back in. If we're if we're totally honest, but worth worth noting. Yes, Brighton are an excellent side, but this is Villa at Villa Park right now. So that's 10 wins in a row in the league now at home. That's an astonishing record. And in that time, I think they've scored 27 goals and only conceded four. Like wow. It's a proper fortress again, Villa Park. And you can see how much the fan base is behind this iteration of Aston Villa because Unai Emery has brought back excellent football. It's not a case of just quick counter attacks and hope for the best. It's not a case of kind of lumping it long it's very methodical builder and you see what it means to Emery it's really hard for you as a fan to not be involved when you see the way Emery's celebrating even the first goal and it's early in the game at that point the game still has so many places it could go to but it means a lot to Emery to see his plan come into action and it did that for the whole game and it's really clear how many of the players are buying into his system I think oh, yeah. only only Harland and Salah have had more goal contributions since Emery took over at Villa than only Watkins now that is not what people would have attributed Ollie Watkins with 12 months ago. So it's excellent seeing how much this team has developed. And actually, I kind of downplay how good Villa's midfield is by saying that Brighton's midfield was weak, because how many midfields would cope with Louise Kamara and McGinn when they're in that kind of form and playing in that way? It's just a shame that we didn't see that against Everton in the Cup, to be honest. But. <laughs> I can't complain too much. It's it's been phenomenal for us.
0: Quick word on Brighton, Dave, because I mean they'll be absolutely shell-shocked after this result. But I mean, let's not forget they're still pretty much well, the level on points and in the table really with Aston Villa still. So, you know, behind us still, on goal
1: difference, thank you oh, very much. Well, <laughs> goal
0: difference is the key right now after that result. Thanks to Dougie. But they're still <laughs> in Europe. I think Roberto De Zerbi said um that European football and playing so many games took its toll and they weren't used to playing that many games. So it's you know, it's a bit of a stark Lesson for them, isn't this? Isn't it this? How will they respond? Do you think, and do you think that will see this as exposing some weaknesses, maybe in Brighton that he needs to rectify, or do you think he will just see it as a, as a, one of them freak blips that could have gone the either way on a different day?
2: It's definitely a learning curve, isn't it? I think mm. it's a bit of a wake up call this game because, for me, I do think that lineup was a little bit naive. His, you know, his hand, hands weren't tied. You've got, you know, a great midfielder there on the bench in Dahood, who's, you know, he's struggled for game time really. Um, mm. And you kind of got to think as a player. Why, why is there an eighteen-year-old? You know, who's not played a league game in a in a pivotal, and massive game, really, away yeah. from home. Shoot. um I just think it could have been. You know, it could have been played differently. Um, let's. I, th- I think. I don't think they're disrespect- disrespectful as such, but. I think playing that line that they did, it was it kind of played into Villa's hand a little bit for me. Um, Let's be honest
1: though, Dave. It's not, I don't think it was necessarily about a disrespect to Villa or underestimating that game, but look at their European tie this week. That Brighton squad is not necessary. We knew this. It's not as deep as anyone else's in the league that is also competing with the European competition. And they didn't get a result in their first game. They have to go and get a result midweek now and it's going to be very difficult for them to do that. So... I don't know. They've got injuries. They've lost a lot of players in the summer as well. We can argue that Dahu I think Dahu would have made that team better. But other than that, would it have made that much of a difference to the result? I do feel for Brighton. I feel like this is where you see the effects of all the big sales they've had to make because they've had these excellent, talented players that have got them into Europe. But now what? They're having to rely on bringing new people through. And that takes time. Mm -hmm. I don't doubt that they'll be able to do it. They're an excellent side still. But I've felt for them in this game, I'll be honest. I think there's an element of everything that they touch at the moment turning to
0: gold. So maybe mm. not not arrogance necessarily, but maybe there was just a feeling of, well, things are going our way. So maybe if we do yeah. try this or do try that, we'll be okay. What's the worst that can happen? And, mm. you know, trust the system in some ways. And uh, the system just didn't work on this occasion. I don't think there's any cause to panic for Brighton, but as you say, mm. a sobering result nonetheless. Um, one system that has failed a team in this match week <laughs> is the officials in the Tottenham-Liverpool game, Tottenham 1-2-1. Um, I think it's fair to say Liverpool will feel slightly aggrieved with the way the game went. <laughs> Two red cards, a last-minute winner, was well, there's an own goal from Joel Matip, and then that's a sickener anyway to watch, isn't it? But, I mean, where to start, really? Um, disallowed goal, I think, is the one for me um, that was meant to be offside, but it was nowhere near offside. Everyone that watched the replay looked at it and thought, how is that even being chalked off? There's miscommunication between like Stockley Park saying, oh, we thought you'd given the goal, so we just said that the decision needs to carry on. There's no lines drawn. Miles picked that apart for me because I mean I, I don't often empathize with Liverpool, but right now, <laughs> I would feel sick after that result, wouldn't you? And I think the statement that PGMOL brought out saying, you know, it was human error and it was an apology. It's like Jurgen Klopp said. What are they meant to do with that now? The game's gone.
1: I'll be honest, I've had a great weekend. (laughs) I watched the Villa win with a Blues fan, which was excellent, and then spoke to our friend of the pod, Chris, who's a massive Liverpool fan, about this game and he was gutted and then spent yesterday with another Liverpool fan. I I asked him what he thought of the game. He said, I do not want to talk about it. And that was just as far as the conversation went. You can see why they're aggrieved, though. it's It's bizarre. The thing that I said when I was talking to Chris was I can't understand how... Even if Stockley Park think that the ref has given the goal, surely they just reaffirm the decision and say to him, yeah, we agree with you. That's onside. Continue. Surely you just say what your call is as well anyway, just to be safe. And also, what what were they thinking when they then saw the free kick being taken? Could they not have gone to the ref, whoa, 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 blow your whistle? No, that's not the decision. Why did they just go, ah, here's what it is? It feels like that that had to be rectified at some yeah. point. I can't believe that it took them till after the game to come out and announce that because they knew. Do you think any Liverpool fan would or or Spurs fan could have begrudged it if that free kick had been taken and the ref yeah. had blown his whistle and gone sorry, the air I've said that's a goal. That must be mm. doable. It must be. It was. Well, there must be an element shocking. of like
0: pride really then to not want to own up to a mistake it in the like game it. you know and I think we saw it recently didn't we with um was it Mike Dean saying he didn't call out a decision when was it Kukarela's yes. hair got pulled because he didn't want to show him up because he was having a bad game it's yeah, not doing it was his mate. the reputation
1: yeah. of VAR at all right. any good is it it's, no. it's shocking I'm not buying into this whole it's a conspiracy theory that Man, Man City are funding it nonsense <laughs> no but I do think it shows massive flaws within the current system. And actually, I think we saw that throughout the game because then there are other moments where VAR should be allowed to get involved. Like Jota picks up two yellows to get sent off. The first yellow, he, he literally no does nothing wrong. No. Like he's, he's not, he doesn't touch him at all. And because it's a yellow card and not a red, VAR don't get involved. Why? What's the point? Because that still affects the game massively. I think people really underestimate the effect that a yellow card has on a player sometimes because I've seen it first time with Villa, for example, where one of your holding midfielders gets an early booking. It changes the way they play for the rest of the game. So if you make a wrong decision on a yellow card, well, we saw what could happen with the shutter. He gets sent off or it still impacts his game. I I don't understand why we put these weird limitations on VAR. It's either all or nothing to me. You either suck it off and just keep goal line technology and move on or you do it properly (laughs) which seems like an obvious thing to say but apparently it's not an an easy thing to do it's i don't i don't even know where to start with it how they fix it now but the red cards i think you're right the the first yellow for the non-contact
0: that Jota made was just ridiculous. He was jogging minded his own business, wasn't he? But mm. then the question is, why do a tackle like he did minutes later to get yeah, the silly. second yellow? That was a bit cynical. But mm. I guess when you've been given a yellow card like that, you don't feel like you're on a yellow card because mm, he didn't maybe. actually do anything. So I totally understand how I agree with the field. But Curtis Jones' red card, Dave, I mean, there was no intent there, really. You could see it was like, Really badly timed. He went over the ball, went into the ankle. Um, I've seen them not given. Um, it's almost like an orange card sort of area sort of thing. But I then I can also see why that's quite a dangerous tackle to make as well. So do you see that as a straight red? I can see why it was given. I think
2: any sort of studs up challenge where you're going like that and you catch the player above sort of ankle height is going to be, you know, dangerous. Um, you're always going to be run, running the risk of. Of getting a red, um, so I can understand. I don't understand the massive uproar around it, to be honest, though. And I can say about the intent, but it's it's still a dangerous challenge. Mm, yeah. Um, if you don't lead in with the studs like that, then it doesn't happen. Um, mm. it, was, it was a similar challenge earlier in the season, wasn't it? I think Casemiro got sent off. You know, there wasn't anywhere near as much uproar around that. It was you know it was a red card and kind of. I think it's just more around the circumstances with the disallowed goal that. I think there is more of a, a defensive reaction from from Liverpool fans. I, I completely yeah. agree with you know the absolute joke that they've done in this game with the decision making and the AR has not being again has had another bad weekend in the in the Brentford game. There was a, a yeah. penalty that wasn't given that, that looked was like crazy as well. Yeah. Um, it's the you know without this was obviously a massive exception this game and that it was just a freak. Yeah. A freak action, really, that wasn't actually uh, act upon, acted upon. And um, but it's mainly been the, the consistency around VAR that, as fans, have kind of been yeah. shouting about that. There's not been any real consistency there. Um, but I, I think it. I can see why it was given as a red. I don't. I, for me, I can't see any massive reason why that should have been overturned. Looking at, no. at the pictures, I think it wasn't overturned.
1: Think- it was changed, though, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think, and you know, why it shouldn't have been a red card. But I think it, the, the thing is, with these video replays, they always slow them down by
1: about that looked terrible to make it look. Yeah. And well, they always look
2: ten times worse.
1: It wasn't even just that they slowed this down. The first image the ref saw was a That's steal, wasn't it? And it looked terrible from there. I, I went back and forth over this, whether I thought it was a red or not. I, I think I'm with you, Mike, where it's one of those where uh, it's probably in the middle, but... I, I, I also agree with you, Dave. I don't think you can have that much uproar about it being given. He's not tried to challenge the player. He's tried to shield the ball mm. and the player just got there quicker. So yeah, he's not intending to hurt him. Of course he's not. But I'd like to think the majority of the time, unless Roy Keane's on the pitch, <laughs> players aren't really going out to break people's legs. Yeah. But things happen if you're out of control of what you're doing. And he just, he got it there a little bit late. So that one, it maybe you could call it harsh, but you can also, it's deserved as a red card. But then the rest of the game's ruined from that mm. point on. Because Absolutely. I was really excited for this game because both teams are coming into it in ridiculously good form. And actually, fair play to them both, still managed to sh- showcase that for a lot of the game. I think Liverpool played incredibly well considering they were down to nine at one point as well. Mm. And Spurs did a very professional job. And I think actually Spurs will come out of this even happier that all people are talking about afterwards is the referee' decision. Because it yeah. helps them go under the radar a little bit. Mm. Very, looking, like, very Look at how good Spurs have been so far this season. Look at where they sit in the league now. But no one's talking about that this morning because everyone's thinking about the game and the refereeing decisions. So it suits them very well to be the underdogs at the moment, I think. And it's, it's going to be a huge win for them come the end of the season. Absolutely, it will be. I
0: don't think Liverpool will... Panic too much about this result and see right. it as a, a season-defining or momentum-destroying because, like you say, their response to being down to to nine men, especially, was was really mm. impressive. I thought they defended resolutely, and I was—I wouldn't say I was gutted for Matip, but you could totally feel how mm. gutted he must be, and you could see allison's reaction, like punching the ball in frustration, because they held oh. so firm for so long.
1: <laughs> also. That was the most impressive thing about the entire game. I said this to my friend as well. Watch Alice and punch that ball back. Yeah. And it goes rose Yeah. It, it was, was very, very impressive. Angry. But <laughs>
0: I think just that, yeah, the Liverpool reaction overall, I think the, the last-minute goal definitely added to the feeling of deflation, but I totally understand where, where they're coming from. It's a lesson for for them to take, I think, in, in just brushing it off and dealing with it and cracking on as they have been. But for Tottenham as well, I think it's also a lesson, isn't it, Dave, in, how to deal with a team that defends so narrowly and gives you very limited room to, to even take a shot because they struggled, didn't they? This kind of very, very intense, deep, low block. They're going to come up against against that a few times this season against some very resolute defences, aren't they? And I guess right now, it's probably the best time to get it out of the way and figure out how they can work through that in future. Yeah, and it, it didn't really look the goal was going to come, to be honest. No. Um in,
2: in fact, Liverpool... You know, look quite threatening at times. After even after they went down to nine men on the break, I thought it was still a really good game. um It just didn't look like it was going to happen for Tottenham. They they kind of persevered there and, tr- and tried, and they were relentless at the end. I think the last five minutes or so, they really did actually put the pressure on, um, and it came from a great. A great cross from Porro. It was just mm, one of those yeah. awful balls that you've got to deal with, isn't it? And unfortunately, it <laughs> just it came <laughs> it came perfectly off off uh, Matip's foot and in, right into the top corner. But I think what I've I'm been impressed with Tottenham about is that actually they've they've hung on in, in games when they've kind of not been on top. They've been able to kind of react to going behind. Um, in the in the Arsenal game, I thought they were really impressive. Definitely, you know, gone above my expectations in how they've progressed throughout the season so far. And it's good, like Guillemart says, it's, going, it's just going to be interesting to see where they can go. Really,
0: yeah, I think well, they could keep it up. There's no doubt. Be acknowledging how lucky they were in this game and just count their blessings, really, in many ways. But a lot of the players that are new to the club, I thought, played really well. Vicario is looking like a really good goalkeeper, isn't he? Yeah, um, he did really well. I just think um, even udogi as well. I had a bit as well. Yeah. Udagi had a shaky start to the game against Arsenal, but he contains Saka, he contains Salah. Mm. So even he mm. looks like a really impressive player, doesn't he, with a good future. So, yeah, I don't think Actually, he will be
1: too concerned by this result. Worth noting as well, you talk about teams that set up with a low block. They have got that added element now of James Madison. Mm. Like he, he is unable to unpick positions. Teams will defend a lot worse than Liverpool did in this game. And they'll be in, They'll come up against a lot of teams that don't need to go quite so backs against the wall with nine men. So having someone like that that can unpick a lock in the way that he can, mm. is huge for them. And with Son looking like he's back in some sort of form as well, obviously he got a goal, which is massive for him. I don't know. I don't really know what to expect of Spurs come the end of the season. Whether this is this is Spurs now, or whether it's a bit of a new manager bounce still. Well, I think it feels like it's going on a bit too long to be a new manager bounce. About the same as they
0: were this time last season. Weirdly, I think they're a goal behind where Mm. they were this time last season. Look what happened there. So true. You know, but the vibe and the whole feel of the whole mood of the club is totally different, isn't it, compared Mm. to what it was under Antonio Conte.
2: You mentioned, didn't mm. you, Mike, I think it was week four last, there's a bit of a different dynamic going forward for them, though. We mm. mentioned about Son's role in it. He is kind of picking up positions, I'd say, more advanced and a bit more central than he was changed, when Kane yeah. was at the club. Absolutely. Um, he's, he has definitely lost the yard of pace, but he's not lost that instinct um, no, to sense chances and kind of spacing yeah. behind.
0: Yeah, I think the Premier League is going to come down to a lot of why and how teams can find the back of the net, isn't it? I think if you can find that cutting edge, then you're away. And one team that really has not found a cutting edge is is Everton. They were woeful in their defeat to Luton, made it very easy for them to pick up their first win in the Premier League. But just let's shed some light on Luton first of all, Miles. I don't think any neutrals watching this game were rooting for Everton, really, because I think Luton, were just one of those teams you kind of want to do well because they're such an underdog. Mm -hmm. Everything about them just screams kind of playing above their level, really. Their ground, some of their players, even the manager to an extent hasn't really proved himself very much at this level. But they ground out in a really impressive and much-needed win, didn't they?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is the kind of game they had to go and win, really, because they needed that monkey off their back of not having a, a league win yet this season. And for all of the good that we saw from Everton in the Cup midweek, they ju- they just seem to hate playing at Goodison Park at the moment. They're, ju- yeah. they're just so poor at home. So Luton had to look at this game as one that if you're going to survive, you have to try and get three points from. And they did. And they did it in a really interesting way because they did it in a very typical kind of... Sean Dyche way at times and they were just they were more physical I think the introduction of Nakamba to this team has made a massive difference hasn't it and he was excellent in this game he recovered the ball really well in midfield he's got such an engine on him that really helped and of course Carlton Morris continues to show that he is a threat and it's yeah. it's always difficult to make the step up into the Premier League if you're a striker that's been so heavily relied on in the Championship the season before we've seen some excellent examples of it in the likes of Timo Pukki but then we've also seen plenty of strikers, Mitrovic in his first season, for example, really struggle to make that cut. And True. it's good for him that he's getting goals now and kind of getting off the mark because they'll really need that as the season goes on. And then, yeah, they they were just happy to deal with what Everton had to throw at them. It seemed like Everton kind of lost their ideas as the game on, and we're just trying to lump balls up to Beto and that didn't really work for all the strengths that we've seen of him so far since he's joined the club this game was not one that showcased them and mm. yeah you, you've got to start worrying about Everton really because Lut- Luton should have been there for the taking for them as well really if there was ever a home game to get your form back yeah. they probably would have identified this one too so it's a funny old game isn't it
0: I think Luton were just a bit of a nuisance really they were quite dogged and determined and their goals weren't the prettiest either especially the first one from uh, Tom Lockyer but there's a few players that really stood up I think you mentioned the camber. um Carlton mm-hmm. Morris I think got player of the match in the end didn't he? Um, Mengi as well, Woodrow, they all played pretty impressively. Dave have you seen any sign that you might see Luton surviving? Do you think they've got spirit alone that's going to carry them through or is there is there enough quality there to kind of produce more results like this?
2: I think at the minute quite an apt comparison would be the Burnley of old and you look at how long you know when they first came into the Premier League there was a a bit of a lack I'll probably say that there was a bit of a lack of quality in terms of personnel but there was a real team unity and you can't doubt that in this Luton team at all I thought you know they played brilliantly collectively um, and you know we've, we've seen how they unpicked as, uh, Everton, there was a real obviously game plan, game plan behind it. They looked to hurt them at set pieces and they've been really good on set pieces all year. And Tom Lockyer has got four goals in his last 10 league games, um, which is quite impressive for a, for a centre-back. Um, and then, yeah, I thought Carlton Morris was an absolutely brilliant finish, you know, just how he took it on the whole folly. Uh, three goals in his last six games. I think he's looking like he could potentially... on and really prove himself in this league and I think what will help them is they are kind of kind of going to go under the radar I don't think there's a massive amount of pressure for them to stay up because they were such an underdog to come up I don't think anyone anticipated this to come around you know that there were this was the first real season last couple of years where they've actually done really well in the championship so it's come around really quickly um, I think their fan fan base is just going to try and enjoy it while they can. Um, I thought Alfie Doughty had a really good game as well. He's, he's done really well for them this season. Um, but yeah, Everton didn't do themselves any favours. I thought there were a couple of opportunities really early on where they just didn't take their opportunities. Get James Garner got in behind, had a really good opportunity, but that's been the that's been the story of them for the last, you know. 18 months, two years, really. Yeah, um, Calvert-Lewin's easy. been out injured so often, um, mm. and he's not really been out to gain sort of any momentum or form that we saw him in when he was, you know, who was bagging for fun, really. And I think Beto's been quite good for Everton so far this season. I think he's been a bit unfortunate. I think in the last couple of games, Everton have, you know, they looked like they were really gaining some momentum, put a really impressive performance in against Brentford to continue that into the cup game against Villa. Anyone saw them turning them over and they did. It was a chance for them to really build again. And it's more like one step forward and two steps back with considering the team they're coming up against, no disrespect to Luton. But at home, you you really should be winning those games.
0: It's mad, isn't it, how much um, the feel around the club plays... In their prospects of the season, especially down at the bottom of the table. And you just don't get the feeling that Everton have any kind of positivity around them at the moment at all. I think the talk from Everton fans is so negative about what the future holds and the new mm. stadium being, you know, said a centrepiece of a championship team <laughs> under new owners. Mm. Um, and I they're think worried about those new owners as well, though,
1: to be fair. Yeah. It doesn't look good, does it?
0: No, there's a few question marks, I think, for Everton fans to, to wonder about. But they're not alone. There's a few teams that could go that way. And one team I worried about was Wolves as well. I think they've sort of climbed a little bit clear now with a massive result against Man City. And <laughs> the irony of seeing Bournemouth, Gary and Neil's old club dragged into the relegation zone, however long for, under Iriola, is uh, surely not lost on him at all. He's probably taken some kind of smugness from uh, from that league position now. But let's just talk about Wolves quickly, if we can, Miles, because I had them down as dead search for relegation, I'll be honest. Me I thought too. Lopetegui leaving was a sign of just how bad the feeling was around that club so Gary O'Neill had such a big job on his hands to first of all change the mood but also fashion a team of players that Lopetegui almost said were not good enough to survive in the Premier League into a team Mm. that could get results and they've just beat Man City 2-1 you know it's one of them results that doesn't happen very often they had to be perfect and they kind of were in almost every position weren't they so hats off to O'Neill and to Wolves really.
1: Yeah, hats off to any team that manages to win a game 2-1 with one shot on target the entire game, <laughs> to be fair to us, No, it is it is an impressive result and they contained Man City, which you don't yeah. hear very often. And you kind of saw what Man City were are missing without someone like Rodri in the midfield as well to kind of help organise things. And Craig Dawson, who knew that he was the kryptonite to Erling Haaland. It just, he played incredibly well, didn't he? But I think for Wolves, the biggest thing is we're seeing a resurgence of Pedro Neto. Yeah, and this is a player that we always knew was class. Before those injuries, it's someone that was probably being touted with some big moves. He was lined up with United for a while, wasn't he? And then he suffered that horrible injury. Saw him out for a long time. And then last season, he never really got a rhythm going when he did come back. And actually, he's he's looked really sharp the last couple of games. And he did in this one too. And Wolves got a real player on their hands there. That's what they're going to need because they've let so many go. Mm. It's not going to be easy for them. But as Pep pointed out, that forward line of Neto, Kunya and the Korean guy really can <laughs> really can hurt teams. And, and they did very well in this game too. I think that's worth pointing out, to be fair, because it
0: definitely contributed, I think, towards the way Wolves obviously felt going into the game. The disrespect shown in that kind of remark. Um, I'm sure that wasn't lost in the team talk at <laughs> Do all. You
1: know- do you know what? Worth pointing out, do you remember a few seasons ago, I think it was was it the year Spurs got to the Champions League final? They beat City in the semi final and Son scored. Yeah. And before the game, Pep had called them the Harry Kane team, and Son was really angry, like ran right up to the, the camera when he scored, saying, Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? And now he's calling the other one the Korean guy. It's not, not a good look for Pep, not is it? He just all, keeps no. aggravating the whole nation of Korea. It's fantastic. Well, it worked.
0: It worked for Wolves. They were really up for it. And um, I think you could arguably say that City have have definitely felt uh, the absence of Rodri. Like they've lost two on the bounce now Mm. without him. Um, He's still got one more game to serve with his suspension. But let's take nothing nothing away from Wolves, Dave. They rode to the the occasion. I'm still not sure they're out of the woods yet. I don't think they can uh, say that, you know, they're on any kind of run because, you know, the Premier League's a long, hard season. And Wolves, as we were saying, is quite a limited squad. But can they use this in some way, do you think, this kind of result to get any kind of momentum, do you think?
2: Definitely. Uh, To be honest, I think they've got more than enough to stay up. I can't see them getting relegated. Especially with... I think there's a big gap between probably the bottom four or five teams in the league. And then, I don't think it's going to be as close as it was last year. It's Obviously, everyone was pulled into it at a point last year. Um, But I think they will have more than enough. And I think this is a huge result for them. It's just going to... They didn't threaten as much as they would have liked, I think, but that's really difficult to do against a team like Manchester City. I don't think we can pull that against them at all. Um, but they've, they've got a couple of relatively unexperi- inexperienced team. I thought Joao Gomez did really good in midfield for them this game. He's a very new player. Um, Max Kilman's been a massive part of their season, too. So mm. I'm really impressed with him. I think he's a great defender.
1: Well, uh, they did a job to hold on to
2: him in the summer, didn't they? Because Napoli
1: yeah. were after him.
2: Yeah, and I think I think that interest will only intensify. To be honest, I think there'll be more mm. clubs in for him in in, in the coming windows. Um, Whether they can hold on for it onto him is an, obviously another question because I think yeah. he's a great player. Um, but it's something they've always been known for, really. Wolves, isn't it? They very rarely kind of get comprehensively beaten or taken apart. They're actually generally quite solid in most of the games, and I think that's shown in. A lot of the games, particularly even against the top six, they always seem to make it a very competitive time. Um, the main thing for me, I think, is if they can carry on scoring goals. I think, like you mentioned, Mars, I think I, th- I think the return of uh, Neto is going to be massive for them. Um, and I think it will help Cunha, who I think has looked really bright at times. Um, but it seems like that link-up is, is is coming on as well. Um, so we'll see what we'll see what how the season goes, but I think it's promising for them.
0: And um, before we finish the pod, guys, I want to turn from the Premier League relegation fight to the Championship promotion race. I don't know if you guys have seen the top of the Championship table lately, but it's been <laughs> led Leicester. by Leicester City. No, Ipswich Town are two points behind, and Preston mm. North End are only two points behind them. Championship's an interesting place at the moment, isn't it? Blimey, what do you make of that? Have you seen any of the Championship apart from
1: Leicester? They're the ones making the headlines, really, aren't they? Yeah, it is them because that that squad's just ridiculous for the championship. I don't know how they... It feels like, that. obviously, they lost Barnes and Madison and Tierlemans, but they've managed to hold on to such a great squad. They've done some really smart business. And, of course, they're running away with it. It's interesting because the three teams that went down, they've all kind of lost a lot, but still look like they had far more than the championship was ready for. And it's not really proven to be the case with Southampton and Leeds, although I think Southampton are Mm. starting to climb again now. But it's it is interesting this year i think Crazy we all league. kind of had the three relegated teams to be the ones straight back up and actually as yeah. ever it's it's really competitive
0: yeah well even middlesbrough are struggling just above the relegation zone watford are only just above them so it's a mad league isn't it it's really hard to get out of as well but uh i guess mm. Leicester are, are disproving that theory aren't they they're so dominant at the minute but mm. yeah that's it
1: for this week's pod guys
0: any whoa, other whoa, whoa. business you <laughs> want to go yeah. into
1: Before we go, Mike, I want to point two things out. First of all, I want one more little humble brag that opening day of the season, I had to talk about Villa losing 5-1 to Newcastle (laughs) to then watch Man City win their first six games. Now, seven games in, Villa are three points behind Man City in the league. That's incredible. (laughs) And also, Mike, I want to give you an opportunity to do something here. I'm going to take you back, right? I'm going to take you back to the 7th of April, 2015. That's ridiculous. Wow, what have you found? Where where Villa... (laughs) Played a thrilling 3-3 draw in the Premier League, might I add, with QPR, where Christian Benteke did bag himself a hat-trick. And then let's go back to the 29th of April, 2013, where Villa got another 6-1 win, emphatic against Giants, Sunderland, also in the Premier League, Christian Benteke hat-trick. So I think I just wanted to give you the floor to allow you to apologise to our former <laughs> Belgian talisman for <laughs> overlooking his two Premier League hat-tricks for Aston Villa, because really, Mike, that's a criminal offence no 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 no
0: no first player since Andy Gray to score two hat-tricks yeah listen
1: the games don't lie I was at one of them <laughs> two hat-tricks that, but...
0: for the club in the same season in the same the oh. same season that's a different yeah. stat no, 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 back no. that was the point I was trying to make so yeah okay you better oh, that right. accusation. Vindicated <laughs> I was re- wondering where that was going to go then mate honestly <laughs>
1: shout out to Christian Benteke though we still love you
0: let's just give Christian <laughs> Benteke a little bit of moment in the spotlight then well done Christian amazing amazing it was a you. striker
1: a Belgian striker
0: <laughs> guys it's been a pleasure um, as always uh, call to action if you can love you to hop over to our YouTube channel please and just hit that subscribe button because we are tantalising close to getting that golden thousand subscribers which would be incredible we're on socials everywhere as well as at football diary uk so please do hop on board have a say we'd love to hear from a few of you whatever club you support you know we we want to hear from anyone really we are an inclusive football community aren't we guys but until next time pleasure as always speak to you soon and oh by the way dave glazes out mate